You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. It's time for straight talk about diversity, frank questions, honest answers, and real insights. It's Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, with your hosts, Sadika Bodka of Nikea Diversity Consulting and Anthony Arrington of top-ranked professional and executive search firm. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is a Corridor Business Journal podcast. On today's episode, business leader, social impact advisor, and author, Michelle Sullivan. Always take the high road. Do I... When I'm given a hard time or something, I really try to make it a teaching moment on the positive side and either uh, correct someone very politely or you politely kind of ignore them to move on. But I do think whichever way you choose, if you do it politely so that they save face, I think that's a much higher and more effective teaching moment. We'll be right back. Green State Credit Union is proud to sponsor Diversity Straight Up. Established in 1938, Green State is Iowa's largest financial cooperative serving nearly 250,000 members of all walks of life. Green State's products include checking accounts, loans, investments, insurance, commercial services, mortgages, and credit cards. Profits are returned to members in the form of better rates on deposits and loans. We encourage you to learn more at greenstate.org. Green State is federally insured by the NCUA and is an equal housing opportunity lender. Welcome to another episode of Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by the Corridor Business Journal. We are at season two, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all the love, support, and commitment to help us continue on this journey. I'm your co-host, Sarika Bakta. And I'm Anthony Arrington, and we're looking forward to a great show today. It's going to be an exciting time. It's going to be, uh, we're going to have a great conversation. We've got a wonderful guest, uh, and we're looking to have a, a, a great conversation today. Yes, before we get to Michelle Sullivan. There's something on my mind. Something's on my mind, Anthony. It's election time. It's, it's election time, Sarika. How'd you know uh, that was on my mind? Had to be. Countdown, 19 days till the U.S. presidential election. I know that we talk about diversity. Politics is part of the diversity conversation. It's part of our multi-dimension, our ideological beliefs when it comes to politics. I also have heard from a lot of employers now leading up to the election as well as post-election that week, how are we going to be able to support the high emotions that are gonna be occurring in the workplace with their employees, as well as what's happening in the communities? You know, it's gonna be tough, Sadika. Um, There's gonna be a lot of emotion that week. I mean, if we're being straight up honest about it, there's gonna be so many emotions and and the question is, what are leaders going to do within their organizations to allow that space? No, no matter how the turnout, um, I think it's going to be important to allow open conversations. You know, I know if I were leading a company, one of the things I may do is be proactive about my conversations. Maybe there's a statement that organizations need to make to their to their to their staff, to their their colleagues, to remind them again of it's okay to feel comfortable. Um, I, I know some organizations are, are allowing vacation times and taking days off. Um, whatever it takes, as one of our prior guests on the show said, whatever it takes. Thank you for sharing that because I know we've always talked about being an authentic leader. We need to be able to have an understanding of our own feelings and yeah. our own emotions yeah. and be able to have these conversations because it will be hard to show up at work, yep. regardless of however, we know yeah. an outcome will happen, maybe not right away, yeah. which is gonna be lingering, which can also have an impact in the workplace. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. You know, it's, it's, 
if, if we don't put ourselves in a space, if we, if we can't push through from an emotional and professional standpoint as human beings and adults, um, and I know I can speak for me personally. I, I know that I'm going to be challenged. You know, we all have these challenges. I know that it's it's an emotionally challenging time for me personally. I got to find a way to push through it. I'm a leader too. You're a leader too. So um, that's what leaders do, right? They push through during adverse times. Very uh, true. And I know that we have to agree to disagree yeah. because this is going to impact me personally in my family realm mm -hmm. as well as in the workplace yeah. as well as in the community as well. Yep, absolutely. Well, I know that we can continue to go on we with can. this hot, hot topic that is going on, but I wanted to just, you know, have a conversation yeah. as it was on my mind. No, I kind of, we kind of guessed. I thought that's probably where we were <laughs> headed. So. <laughs> so there's a lot on my mind keeping me up these days, I know. Anthony. Hey, like we say, a lot going on in that upstairs, right? <laughs> well, but, let's um, get to what's on our guest's mind, yes, okay? Yes. Shall we do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. What's on our guest's mind? Well, we have with us Michelle Sullivan. She is a globally recognized leader and advisor in social impact, TEDx speaker, and author. During her 30-year career at Caterpillar, she served as president of Caterpillar Foundation and director, corporate social innovation at Caterpillar Inc. Throughout her time with the foundation, Michelle has transformed it from merely transactional to global and strategic. This strategy places the human need first, not as an afterthought of profit. Michelle is well known for her global expertise and sustainable and collaborative approach to philanthropic investing. Michelle strongly believes monumental and sustainable change in our largest global challenges can only happen through partnerships and collaboration between public, private, and nonprofit entities. Not only that, Anthony, but she's also the author of Looking Up, How a Different Perspective Turns Obstacles into Advantages. I'm looking forward to learning more about Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for thank being you. a guest exec on Diversity Straight Up Podcast. Welcome. We love thank hanging you. with superstars. This is, <laughs> you're right, I'm hanging with the superstars. Both of you. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this. Well, thank you, Michelle. Well, let um, us get to know you a little bit more. Where did you grow up and your career path? And I know a stint of it was also at Caterpillar before you moved on doing the amazing work that you're doing right now. So share us a little bit about your journey. Thank you. I was born in central Illinois quite a few decades ago. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to my parents' surprise, I was born a little person. I have a very rare type of dwarfism and I stand four feet tall. And, you know, my parents right off the bat treated me like all the other siblings and like everyone else. And I really didn't know I was little until I went to kindergarten and the kids told me, you know, they recognized that there was something different about me. And, and I had no idea until then. And I knew early on, though, that education was a key for me because I wasn't going to be able to do things like construction or fireman or anything like that, you know, that entailed a, a physical uh, physicality being a big part of the job. So I knew that education was my key. And so I went on to get a bachelor and a master's degree at Bradley University, which is in uh, central Illinois as well. It's a private university. And while in graduate school, I co-opt for uh, IBM. But I also knew that with Caterpillar being headquartered in Peoria, that I knew I could have a, a very diverse global career. And that did come to fruition. My dad worked at CAT for 30 years and retired. My sister still is at Caterpillar. So we're definitely a Caterpillar family. And I had the privilege of having quite a few jobs at Caterpillar. and ending up in the foundation, which brought two passions, Caterpillar and the nonprofit space are two of my passions. And it really brought that together for me. And, you know, I got to see a lot as I traveled the world and I spent most of my time in the underdeveloped countries. Mm -hmm. And so as you talked about the election, what struck me is, what struck me really was that we have to remember that we still are one country and we are one people. However, it turns out yeah. in your favor or not in your favor, we still have to be one because 
as you look around the world when there is an election or not even an election, right? You know, so many people are stifled that they don't even get to vote. Yeah. And remember, yeah. it wasn't that long ago that women couldn't vote here. Mm-hmm. So, so true. We do have to uh, celebrate our independence and still remember that we are one people. Yeah. And that we have to collaborate. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't think that Washington could learn a little bit about that uh, instead of it being so divisive among the party lines. Uh, It makes it hard for the people to come together as one when when our leaders are having trouble. But nonetheless, we still are one people and that we must, you know, support each other. And just look around the world. You know, when I was in Africa my last time a couple of years ago, just in the week I was there, several countries on the continent had changed leaders just because of a coup or something. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that here. Right. So, you know, I do get excited when I do have the right to go vote. Yeah. And, you know, it's an exciting time and also a bit of a stressful time, yeah. I do admit. Well, you know, uh, being a pre-law political science major, I love, I love talking about this and being born in Gujarat, India, the world's largest mm-hmm. democracy, and now yes. living in America, another big democracy. I know the value that we have to really embrace and appreciate the opportunity to be able to vote and be able to make impact. No, it's a good segue exactly. too, Michelle. You mentioned what I what I loved hearing you mention. I know you talked about this in your book, and we'll get into that a little bit. But you, you mm-hmm. mentioned uh, that we're all one, you know, and I think. Um, as I think about your upbringing, you and I have something in common. Um, you know, we're, we're one of a, uh, I'm a bilateral amputee. I've been an amputee below my knee for 30 years. Um, you talk a little bit about the, un- the seen and the unseen and, and uh, right. your conversation, but we're one of, you know, uh, 26% of the people in America. Uh, one out of every four of us have a disability and you and I share that space. And I- I'm curious, obviously we, we believe that we're one and we all believe that we're one, but as you talked about your elementary uh, experience, taught you that there was some difference right and you didn't realize that um can you talk about the impact of your disability on your on your upbringing and and uh, on your journey and you know how you're able to over overcome some of those to to make it to the to what i would consider uh the american dream in, in terms of what you do uh, can, can you kind of talk yeah. about your challenges and your hurdles through that process so you know as a child it, it was difficult because anywhere i went you know i got stared at because you really don't see a lot of little people around and a lot of people think about the circus or something when you do see a little person mm-hmm. when in reality in today's world you know it's, it's, we're as educated as everybody else right. and can hold any you know uh, position as well so but nonetheless when you're a child and you don't quite understand the differences or what it really means mm-hmm. it was difficult and i hated to go out in public i'd always hide behind my parents legs there for a while But as I went along in school, I discovered that that I had a knack for education and that, you know, I could pick things up quickly and, and, you know, I I was blessed with a good mind most of the time. My family tell you I lose my mind sometimes. (laughs) But, you know, um, I was, was, uh, you know, I had got good grades and everything. So, and even as first or second grade, we played this math game called Around the World where the teacher would have flashcards. Love it. And you'd land at somebody's desk, stand next to it, and then whoever said the answer first got to move along to the next desk. And and I won all the time. Math was, <laughs> come to find out, for, math was my forte, one of them. And so I became known as the girl that was smart in math, not the girl that's so little. So it's quite interesting that as the other kids you know, saw me as something different, then I started to recognize it in myself. And in the book, I write about that, you know, while my size certainly uh, talks to the title of looking up, since I look up to most people physically, but literally I look up, but also figuratively, I look up to everyone. It taught me the best relational posture is that we all have value. And so early on when the other kids saw me for something else it it really started to trigger with me what my parents would always tell me that i can do anything and so as i went along in school and got good grades and 
you know, saw that education was a pathway for me as it is for, for everyone when you think about it. But I was afforded a great education. And so, you know, when I, I was 23, when I graduated with my master's, I was working at IBM and transitioning over to Caterpillar. And I, I felt like I needed all of that so that I would be on par with everybody else when I interviewed. And, you know, I got on a Caterpillar, you know, now 32 years ago, I retired two years ago and I had a great career and they were very open. And when I got the Caterpillar Foundation job, which is one of the most visible jobs at Caterpillar, because it's such a global company, you know, it really showed me and others that, you know, they go by, you know, who does the job. And that is a lot of what we all strive for because you can see one of my differences, which is my size, but it's not my only difference mm -hmm. or my only challenge. You can see mine. I maybe can't see Anthony's, you know, if he has long slacks on, but you know, people are suffering with mental illness or so many have lost their jobs today and have money issues. Some people may be going through infertility, all this you can't see. Mm -hmm. So we must be very open to people and also look up to everyone because at the end of the day, we all have value and I look up to you. So, you know, my journey has been quite a journey and it goes through ups and downs like everyone else. Mm -hmm. But early on, I figured out that, you know what, I, I can do anything. I can do anything. Well, Michelle, that's a beautiful sentiment when it comes to values of your own personal self, as well as values that others have as well. You have mentioned many times education is something that you value tremendously. And right. in your role at the foundation at Caterpillar, being a global position, a very visible position, I want to segue a little into unconscious bias. And uh, we know that um, unconscious bias has a lot of impact on our decision making. And when people right. don't know you and they see you being in a very visible role, we know unconscious bias can also be learned on top of it be unlearned. Can you share with us some experiences that you had with unconscious bias when you were interacting with global leaders? Sure. You know, I can always tell in the first 15 seconds of any meeting anyone if they're going to look past my size. And it's quite a surprise to some people as I show up. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I have to say whenever I would meet with, you know, especially prominent leaders, they they know quite a bit about me before I ever show up because there's been a lot of dialogue before the actual meeting. But with that being said, in other countries, someone, you know, with my uh, dwarfism or, or disability, whatever you want to refer to it as, you know, are not open to people like myself. And as a matter of fact, if you were born with, you know, dwarfism in some countries, you certainly aren't seen uh, or educated or anything like that. So I was very fortunate to be born in the United States. But they all knew that I was there representing the Caterpillar Foundation and we were ultimately both working on making the lives better for those who most of the time we were working on poverty. So they, we were both there with the same mission and that Caterpillar cared and really wanted to make a difference. And I happened to be the person in the chair sitting there with them, you know, working on the same issue. So it really, as we would talk, you could tell it really didn't matter you know, that I am Michelle first, who happens to be a little person. Right. And so it, quickly, it, it really is a non-issue for me and for them. And we really got to some great collaborative uh, programs that made a big difference in a lot of people's lives. So I have to say that I really did not have a lot of struggles in that role uh, because they knew that one Caterpillar carries a, a big, brand you know global brand right. and so you no know, everywhere i went caterpillar is covered by uh, or that area is covered by a caterpillar dealer mm -hmm. so they're very familiar with caterpillar so they were thrilled that caterpillar showed up mm -hmm. <laughs>
Alliant Energy is a place where I can create the future, where my skills, creativity, and new ideas make a better tomorrow. I help deliver the energy powering moments that matter to you. It's where we care about the environment and our neighbors, a place where my talents and skills grow. My job isn't a job, it's my passion, my place, my purpose, because I am energy. See how you can put your energy to work at AlliantEnergy.com slash careers. As a global citizen, you're, you're recognized differently as a person with a disability in the United States than other areas of the world where you could be ostracized, considered a person who was cursed, right, at birth. Right. And, and, but you've been able to, as a leader, uh, use your power platform privilege to really drive that purpose in those areas of the world and, and get past that bias that, that, that Sadika mentioned. And it brings me to something else that I was, I was, was listening to. I was listening to your podcast and you talked a lot about, I was listening to your Ted talk and you, and you talked about your travel and some of the, just the everyday challenges with travel that many people don't think about, whether it's <laughs> your wheelchair or us. And I, and I, I'm, I'm with you cause we get frisked every time we go to the, the airport, right. we have to go through the frisking that other people don't every single time. It's not even, I call it legalized groping. It is, it is. It's yeah. legalized groping it and I'm with you. And I've been <laughs> trying to work with uh, the TSA on different avenues for that, but go ahead. Right. The one thing that stuck out to me though, is, is you talked about, you had a couple of scenarios where you talked about once people got to know you, the baggage claim handler, the, right. the agent and you got to have conversations you really got to teach them something or they learned something about you i was really intrigued by the gentleman that you sat next to in the plane that saw you in the bathroom and you had this <laughs> embarrassing moment but you used yeah. that opportunity to have conversation with him because he happened to be sitting next to you in the plane and and you said by the end of that plane ride you guys were like friends and you, you, you were able to pretty much teach him something about life. And so how do you use that platform and your privilege to do that constantly? And how does that affect your, your leadership style, how you communicate? Because you seem to have what you say, that gift of gab. And, and how does that right. work? You know, I find that to make people comfortable, and this is a whole chapter in the book, if you make the first move, meaning I go up and start the conversation, I still can tell if they're gonna shut me out and then I move on. But, but most of the time, people are relieved and they, they just start talking to you. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that making the first move is a wonderful way to break the ice and it helps them as well. And again, always take the high road. Do I, when I'm given a hard time or something, I really, try to make it a teaching moment on the positive side and either uh, correct someone very politely or you politely kind of ignore them to move on. But I do think whichever way you choose, if you do it politely so that they save face, I think that's a much higher and more effective teaching moment than if you react to their uh, ignorance it's a lot of times it's ignorance in a and i don't mean it in a bad way but they don't right. know about little people for instance or someone like in your situation they've never had to deal with it and so i truly don't think it's on purpose i think it's more out of ignorance that they've never had to deal with someone or or maybe seeing a little person so i try not to take it negatively on their part so i really try to take the higher ground and make it a better teaching moment that way and so when the gentleman did open the door on me in the bathroom on the plane, you know, he was more embarrassed than I was. I was sitting down. So, uh, <laughs> but right. what are the odds of him sitting across from me on an airplane? Right. And as I stepped out and I saw him there, then it was hard for me because I could see his face. And so as I walked towards him, I leaned up towards him as I, you know, got to the row. And I said, are you going to remember this as much as I am? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, humor is a wonderful thing because he laughed and it broke the ice. Yeah. And I wanted him to know that, you know, it's, 
it was an accident and you know i don't think anything about it so as we talked you know through the rest of the flight you know he forgot about it i'm sure he didn't completely forget about it i'm sure he's not talking about it like i do you know i don't know what i would talk about it if i opened the door on someone <laughs> but you know i wanted him to know that you know i it's it's fine you know we're still good right. and when the plane landed he had noticed when I got on that somebody put my bag up above and he asked if he could get my bag down. And he probably wouldn't have done that had we not chatted and got to know each right. other. He would have gotten off the plane without giving it a second thought. And so when you think about it, it ended on a good note and we both learned something. Do you have a lot of and those moments as a, as a leader where those teaching moments, because I, I see the analogy there of, you know, with race in an office, right? In a, in a lunchroom, right. maybe, Exactly. you know, there's a lot of white men right now who are afraid to say things because they're afraid to make a mistake. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, it's I, an opportunity to be a teaching that. moment. Yep. I understand that too. And, you know, obviously being a white person, uh, I, I understand that because, you know, we want to learn too. Uh, so if you do say the wrong thing and someone jumps at you for whatever reason, you're really not allowing that person to learn because most of the time people don't mean to hurt somebody's feelings. Right. I'm not saying it doesn't happen because right. it does, but we still are one and we need to, you know, really be open to each other and what each other's challenges are. And also how do we collaborate to make a difference. And our differences bring us together. And remember, we we thrive because of people, not in spite of them. And the purpose in life is to thrive, not just survive. And so I really hope that we, you know, come together more than we are today in, in every way, whether it's race, religion, you name it. It seems like, you know, everybody has an opinion against some other group and i really hope that you know we can come together more and learn from each other and take a higher learning and teaching moment and as a leader you know the best thing you can do is you know trust your folks and and say you know i do believe in you and when somebody says that you know it was said to me so many times at caterpillar you know you have to give people opportunity to succeed and to fail when you fail i I can guarantee you, you learned more than if you succeeded on the first time around. You know, Michelle, I always think about it being like the growth mindset. We always want to be lifelong learners. And yeah. we do learn a lot when it, we don't get to those outcomes that we thought were going to be optimal. Right. And, exactly. You know, um, there's a lot of intersectionality that we all have. And I want to talk a little bit about... Um, you and uh, women's empowerment and girls empowerment. I know that is something that you also believe dearly in and also go on the speaking circuit to really mm -hmm. inspire and empower um, this group as well globally. And I think that um, you gave an example of injustice for women by saying that an 11 year old girl should not be getting married. In my right. culture being Indian, I have seen so much around marriage because that is such a huge bedrock of institution. It's a very right. patriarchal culture as well. So as a girl who's young and gets married, she's going from one patriarchal family and being transferred as an object to another patriarchal family. So when I you know, read this, it really hit me. Share a little bit about your thoughts on this. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it did hit you, and you're right. Uh, that is one country that definitely, you know, has a different culture than than what I grew up in. And so one of the pillars of the Caterpillar Foundation was to really elevate the opportunities, education, and basic human needs for girls and women. Because as the family goes, it's because of the women in the in the family. You know, in the United States, if you ask most people, you know, who makes the family go, it, they would if they're honest, they're going to tell you it was the mother. Mama, I'm going to tell you, it was mama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was raised by a strong woman. So, you know, when you think about it, getting them educated early on 
their health is better. They're not more less likely to get married at a younger age. They're more likely to be involved in civic leadership. They're more likely to go on to support the family because women also put much more of their money back into the family than men do. And that's also what supports the family. So if you really want a community to strive, you can't leave half of them behind. And that's the girls and the women. You, it won't succeed. And so when you think about how do we lift women and girls up, it's through those pillars that I just talked about that we invested heavily in, especially in the underdeveloped countries. But even here in the United States, we have a long way to go. A lot of the women's rights, you know, are, I would argue, being threatened right now. And we can't have that. Yep. So we can't have that. Michelle, just to piggyback on this, especially now with a global pandemic, we know that it is impacting um, women and working women as well as uh, women that are you know taking lead in the household and right. there's a lot of studies that are coming out and uh, some of the data is indicating that this is going to have an impact on women and their um, professional career and aspirations and trajectory what do you right. think about this and what are some solutions well, you would offer them right obviously i hope not but i being a realist i i think it it will hurt them and I think that we have to continue to remain strong and, and be supportive of each other. And also the men have to recognize that, you know, the women are, are as successful as anyone and that they make great leaders. And that's been shown, you know, time and time again. And so, you know, we need everybody to lift everybody up. Minorities in general, not just women, by the way. This is minorities in yeah. general that you... You know, um, diversity to me is more than just race and what sex you are. To me, diversity is also your um, experiences. What have you experienced that, you know, help build who you are and what you were exposed to in terms of, you know, how people really live? Even in the United States, there's a lot of poverty. And as you go to underdeveloped countries, you know, who can't vote or someone in my situation or Anthony needs never be educated or be seen in public. So to me, diversity is also diversity in thought and in experience. Yeah. And we can't be afraid of that. We have to lean in and get to know people and also situations of others to really be well-rounded mm -hmm. in making the best decisions. Right. You know, you talk about leaning in and, and you talk about advocacy and in your 30 years at Caterpillar they've allowed you to expand I, I think I was I think I read it or I was listening in your in your MSNBC interview where you were talking about how prior to maybe you I don't know if maybe you or I know you've only had about four people in that position but you, you right. mentioned that Caterpillar was never involved in advocacy and policy so what right. was it about you or that change where was the flip switch and how you as a leader was able to get them on that train to to policy and advocacy something they'd never done before so with, with the caterpillar foundation we can't be involved directly with policy which is you know involves the legislature but we can advocate uh, an opinion or you know a, a circumstance so that when they go to vote or create policy they can think about that so for instance, you know, the girls and the women and other types, you know, for those in poverty, for instance, we advocated for them as well. And so when I got to the foundation, it was very transactional. We basically wrote checks. And so I really treated it like a business. And what was the return on investment on our grants? You know, we were kind of like the shark tank, for example, when all the water grants came in, you know, how do you decipher one from the other? And you look at return on investment. So all these water grants came in and organizations, and it's like the Shark Tank. Who can do the most with a dollar in terms of how many people get access to water working in the area that we want to work in? And so when you think about that, you know, it really puts things on the table pretty equally. And also we required that they report out every year what was the result of the grant. And so... At that point, 
it then becomes, you know, where else do we want to invest our money? And, you know, you kind of go from there. So advocacy to me is working at the grass tops. Uh, and then the organizations work with people on the ground. And that to me is the grassroots. But if you truly want to make exponential change, the grass tops is where it's at. Now, granted, just because you pass a law, for instance, that girls can't be married before, say, 15, that's not, as you know, it's not going to trickle down in a month or even a year. But it does start to change the culture. And that's why it takes a lot longer. But at the end of the day, it will start to take hold and become part of the culture. The same with those that are in poverty. So when you work on advocacy, that's the grass tops. And you also have to have investments at the grassroots. And that's where that came from. And we also worked heavily with our legal so that we could do that, you know, in a legal way and not get, you know, involved on the political side with policy directly. We just advocated. I, I love that. I learned something new today. Grass tops and grass grassroots. We got to remember and that. You need, you need both. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. I'll be cutting my lawn this weekend, so I'll remember that. <laughs> there you Want go. to come and cut my lawn over as well? Give my husband a break here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Michelle, I'm going to segue a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about your book, Looking Up. Mm -hmm. Can you share what was the impetus, what was the passion behind it that you wanted to go on this journey as an author? You know... For a long time, people have told me, Michelle, you need to write a book about all your experiences and, and really educate people. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I was quite busy. I really didn't have time, but it was always in the back of my mind. And then, you know, the last couple of years before I knew that I was gonna retire, I did start thinking about it more. And I started going down the path of, you know, what would the book look like? And I didn't want the book to be just about me because we all have a story. And I can't say that mine's any more interesting. I, I can put laughs and everything in, but I wanted it to be about the people I've looked up to in my life and who have looked up to me. And also the people I met through the foundation who I look up to and they never know what they mean to me. And so I really put my head around all the people that the book would be about and who I truly look up to and you know who have helped me along the way and looked up to me my whole life. And so that's where the book came from and the title as well. Look, looking up really means about looking up to everyone and really seeing the value that we have. And I really hope after the election, we all can get our head around more of that instead of really dividing us. Well said. And I'm afraid it may take a while, but I'm really hoping that we can come together more than we are today and really look up to each other. I am a firm believer that um, humanity, we're always gonna continue to evolve. That also means our belief systems as well. And if we can continue to engage in crucial, courageous conversations, I think mm -hmm. it's gonna continue to allow us to be able to move in that direction. Right. As long as we can meet people right. where they are on their right. equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement journey, yep. but continue to move forward without blaming right. and shaming, I think there's gonna yeah. be a lot of opportunities yeah, for good sure. Good point, good point. And, ex and respect everybody. Good yeah, point. we're lacking that today. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I like working on. Absolutely. That we're more alike than we are different. Yes. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for sharing about your book. Where can our listeners go and get a copy or two or five to for themselves and for <laughs> their friends and colleagues? Yeah, of course, you know, any of the online things like Amazon, it's also at Barnes and Noble. So you can you can pretty widely uh, it's available pretty widely right now. All right. You hear that? And uh, you can go to uh, lookingup.com as well. And it's, there's, you know, excerpts from it also. That's lookingup.com. And the name of the book is Looking Up, How a Different <laughs> Perspective Turns Obstacles, Obstacles into Advantages. Go get that book. It has right. received Thank a you. lot of testimonials, I believe, from Bono, <laughs> from U2, as well as uh, Sheryl Sandberg and Mike Bloomberg, I believe. Is that correct, Michelle? Right. And you know what? A commonality across all those people, and there's, you know, people who have endorsed it that you haven't heard of. But at the end of the day, we all uh, came together because of our work in the non for profit space. So it's interesting that 
you know, everyone, you know, we all met each other through our common passion. That's great. Yeah, it is great. Well, I can, I know that we can continue to have, you know, conversations yeah. with Michelle, but we're going to go ahead and go into our third segment of our podcast. What's on our listeners' minds? This is where we have a question from a listener. Actually, this is really interesting, Michelle, because lately we've received um, quite a few questions and comments around a very similar topic question. Typically, we'll ask from one listener, but because lately we've been receiving a lot from many people, I am basically just going to ask the gist of what um, the topic or question is. Right now, around uh, equity, diversity, inclusion industry, there's been an administrative executive order around a diversity training, which has an impact with the federal government as well as the agency, as well as you know contractors that do business with the federal government, right. where training on unconscious bias around white privilege as well as race relations, um, there could be fines, penalties, should this continue. And um, these are questions or topic that we usually ask our guest exec and Michelle, this one is for you. One of the first things we always do when we want to make a change is we want to count. You count how many diverse candidates you have, et cetera. You just, and most of the time it's based on uh, race and sex. When, as I said, there's many other types of diversity as well. So just because you send somebody through training, any type of training doesn't mean that it's going to take. And that's my problem with just diversity training. I think we learn more when we actually experience it. Mm -hmm. But I also know that until you really force an issue, whatever the issue is, it's not going to get started most of the time. So diversity training is our way in the door to really broaden people's minds. But we have to go farther than that and really embed, you know, diversity as a whole within the organization. So I would definitely continue to not only do the diversity training, but really live by the values of what it's intended to do. And so it's not enough just to train, but you have to really execute within the culture and walk the talk or it's not going to work. Now, the other side of it is it's not going to change in a, in a week or a year. And people want it to change very quickly because you do have to have the right people in the right job. At the end of the day, you still have to do that. But we need to be open to who that pool that you're going to pick from is. And, and we, we all have unconscious bias. I have it. I, I took a lot of training in unconscious bias, and it was quite an eye-opener for me. Uh, so we all have it. So we all are struggling with this. We don't recognize it, though. And we really have to work hard to recognize it. So how do we really broaden the pool of people that we're looking at who can and are qualified to do the job? And if we need more diversity, which we obviously do, there's no question, how do we get that pool of people ready so that we can bring in more diverse candidates and have them ready to take on these roles. So I think just like we worked early on in the in a child's life with the foundation, how do we work earlier in the process to get more diverse candidates ready and willing to, you know, take on these positions? I think we have to work early on in the process, not just when a job comes open. We need to be working way before that to give them the experience and really evaluate who can do the position and who can't, not based on what they are, but what their skill sets are. But we also have to make sure that everybody gets the same benefit to, to really get those skill sets early on. And I'm not sure that we're doing that. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Thank yeah. you, Michelle. We appreciate you providing response to some of our listener questions around um, certain training that the executive um, administration is looking at banning, unconscious bias being one of them as well. So right. we know that diversity 
in of itself is not going to be the magic pill with just a training. Right. It has to be a very integrated, multifaceted approach strategically, intentionally to embed it throughout the organization and the firm right. and in our communities. This starts early on in a person's life. <laughs> I always say brush your teeth moments. And at the end of the day, you have to look at yourself in the mirror every day. Absolutely. And, and it really starts with you. Right. And your children. Yeah. And the youth. Yeah, exactly. I agree, Michelle. Yes. Exactly. Yep. All right. Well, we're going on to another portion of our podcast. This is a fun one, Michelle. This okay. is where we have fun tossing a diversity thumb ball. It's a softball, so don't worry. I know my aim okay. is horrible, and I probably <laughs> knock a lot of Joe's uh, equipment to the floor. <laughs> right. But it's a, I think, Anthony, if you show it to Michelle, she'll see oh. there's a lot of questions and prompts on Surely, the diversity ball. Okay. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're just going to toss it back and forth, and uh, we're going to take turns, and Anthony will actually toss one up in the air, and wherever his thumb lands, he's going to read the question or the prompt, and then that'll okay. be yours to answer, and then we'll take rounds with each other as well. Okay. So it's a virtual right. ball we're throwing. I wish we could make it work. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna toss to you first, Erica. Oh, you are okay. We'll start with you first. Oh, barely. Okay. How might you personally combat prejudice and discrimination? I know I have grown as a person, and I've been able to be stronger to stand up to discrimination and prejudices that I see. Very, very hard growing up in the culture that I did. Right. And so I know that I stand up, even if it is swimming against the rest of the, the fishes around me. So I stand up, I'm very vocal, and I'm an advocate. And again, I do it in a way that allows for conversation to occur so that I can understand their perspective. More importantly, they're willing to listen to my perspective. So it's all about how I communicate, my tone and the words that I'm utilizing, I'm gonna create that connection so that we can have an open dialogue. I Great. love it. I All right. All right, well, this is going to go to you, Michelle, virtually, and Anthony's gonna catch it. All right. Got it. Hey, Anthony. All right, <laughs> Michelle, the, the question is, in what way is your world diverse? Well, that's a great question. You know, I have a very diverse uh, village around me, and I talk about that in the book. I talk about my kitchen table, where you have a few people that you always have that you, you know, when something really good or really bad happens, there's always those few people you call, right? And I call that my kitchen table, which is, nice. you know, my mom and my sister. And then I have my village, which I, I have a very big village that helps me do what I do and have, you know, made me become the person that I am. And I can tell you that I have a very broad uh, spectrum of, of folks in every way that are around me. And also, I really try to stay involved in many different aspects of the community. And also, I go in even when I'm uncomfortable. I really force myself to lean into a situation that I don't necessarily, that I'm not very familiar with or even the folks I'm not very familiar with for whatever reason, I maybe haven't met them or I don't know the topic. And I really push myself to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And you'd be surprised at how many people you get to meet in that way. And like you said earlier, you know, you lean in and when you lean in, it forces you to, to really listen and, and be open to how other people are thinking or how they're feeling. And I think that's very important. And also being, you know, a collaborator. People go, oh, Michelle, you work for Caterpillar, you're a Republican. Oh, you're in the foundation, you're a Democrat. <laughs> it's funny how it's a label. <laughs> and I go, you know what? I'm a collaborator. Yeah. So we, get stuff, we get stuff done. Yeah, we get stuff oh, done. Oh, yes, you get do. Get done. Yeah, so that's how I do yeah. it. And I have a very diverse group around well, it's me. A, very it's diverse. diverse world. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. That okay, is so interesting, the... Michelle, when I think about how people may think of one arm of the company is all this and another mm -hmm. arm that's yeah. doing philanthropic <laughs> yeah. work is very, you right. know, yeah. slanted to one side. I never thought about. Uh -huh. Isn't that funny? Yeah. 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 That's how we put labels on us. Kind of funny. 
<laughs> All right, I guess it's my turn. It I'm is. I'm throw the ball to myself here. All right, and my question is, how do people learn biases and stereotypes? I'm going to have to say it starts at uh, a kitchen table, like Michelle said. I think uh, yeah, I everything we've talked about that a couple of times throughout the, this, this uh, conversation today about how it starts at home and it starts in the mirror. Um, so, yes, that's how, you know, bias and stereotypes get started. I, I've talked a lot of times about a bias I had, and I know I've shared this with you against Harley Davidson writers that when I was growing up, I thought everybody I knew that had a leather jacket on. I've told this story before was a, was a racist or a KKK member, right? Like it was, mm. but it was a learned bias from the, right. the, the neighborhood I grew up in or the people I hung around or what I heard on TV and in my house or what have you. So it's, you learn them. Yep, absolutely. I think it starts at home at the kitchen table. For our listeners, continue to submit your questions and comments to info at diversity straight up. And now we're just wrapping up. But before we do, Michelle, we do want to ask you, is there something that we have not discussed that you would like to share with us and our listeners? The, I think remember to always make the first move. It helps with the situation for whatever reason, if you're a little nervous or the people aren't quite who you're usually hanging out with or something, but make the first move. And also don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, that's a chapter in the book. And it's also uh, my TED talk is asking for help as a strength, not a weakness. Mm -hmm. And in today's world, we're all challenged with the pandemic. It's causing us all to change everything we do, really. I mean, we can't hardly hug our loved ones, really. And that's not how we are. Yeah. So yeah. don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. And also don't be afraid to check in on people because they may need help and they, they're not gonna ask for it. So we have to be very sensitive at this time to help people. And I really think that's very important. You know, I always believe in servant leadership where I'm here to help you. And in my personal life also, you know, cause I need help every day reaching things and, and all kinds of things. So, you know, I also have to return that to other people. So don't be afraid to ask for help. And also don't be afraid to make the first move and keep looking up because the view is great. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that feedback. Very inspiring and, and a very engaging conversation that we had today. Yes, so we really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Michelle. You definitely made episode one of season two, a very memorable <laughs> one. Thank, thank you, you so much. And um, go out and get a couple of books yep. of Looking Up by Michelle Sullivan, everyone. Make a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much for your Thank time. You. Thank you. And for our listeners, please keep, this is, uh, again, as Sadika said, this was uh, season two, our first episode. It'll be going by video all year. We're looking forward to having some great guests, and uh, stay tuned in to Diversity Straight Up. Yes, season two is going video, so tune in. Diversity Straight Up. Keeping it real. All right. Thank you to our listeners as we wouldn't be here without your support. Help us grow our subscriber base by sharing our show with others. Love this new episode of Diversity Straight Up brought to you by Green State Credit Union? Then head over to the most popular podcast audio platforms to describe, rate, and review us. And check out our other episodes while you're there. Catch us on our next episode, which drops monthly. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. It's not enough to simply be a leader. Be a global leader by leveraging diversity with equity, inclusion, and engagement. And share your journey. This may empower others to be bold change agents. Be courageous. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Keeping it real.